Life Audio. You are listening to Hope for Women with Father Wounds, Episode 49, Exchanging Father Wounds for the Love of God the Father with Sharla Fana. I'm your host, Kia Stevens. This podcast is for women who have experienced pain in their father-daughter relationship as a result of divorce, abandonment, abuse, incarceration, addiction, or a physically present but emotionally absent father. The aim of this podcast is to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. If you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend, rate, and comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Today, we're chatting with Charlotte Fanos, and she is an author and poet who didn't discover her love of writing until very recently. She is currently the author of Where I Belong, a memoir, and Unbroken Pieces, a poetry book. She hopes to soon publish her first work of fiction. Let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Charlotte. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And today I am excited to be talking to poet and author Sharla Banus. And so we're going to go ahead and dive right into this conversation. Hi, Sharla. How are you today? I'm great, Kia. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to have you. And for the listeners who are not familiar with Sharla, I just want to share a brief bio with you so that you can get a little bit acquainted with her. Sharla is an author and poet who didn't discover her love of writing until very recently. She is currently the author of Where I Belong. It's a memoir and Unbroken Pieces, which is a book of poetry. She hopes to soon publish her first work of fiction. Awesome. Awesome. So let's just kind of start talking about your childhood. How, how was your childhood? What was it like growing up? How was my childhood? It was definitely very unconventional. I was placed in foster care at the age of two and went back and forth until I was 13 when I eventually ended up living with my foster mother permanently. There was neglect, abuse. My biological mother was addicted to drugs and alcohol. So there was that kind of chaoticness in my childhood. I did have also three brothers as well. I was the only girl and the second born. So I I took a lot of responsibility for my younger two brothers. And what else? Yeah, it was just, it was very chaotic. It's very chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a whole lot to 
have to manage and deal with as a, a child. So before foster care, do you have any recollection of living with your birth mom, your birth father? My birth father was never in the picture. I never knew who he was. Interestingly enough, I had met each of my brother's fathers. We all have different fathers. So I had met through the course of my childhood, their fathers. And I, so I always had like this awareness that I didn't have one, like that I was missing that piece. But no, I don't have very many memories before foster care because I was so young. But my first memory of going to foster care was when I was at the age of six. And I remember walking home from school and there being a social worker outside of our door. And my mother was frantic and the social worker, like we had like a little bag outside the door and she was telling telling me that I was going to have to leave. And I had told her, because I remember having been in a foster home previously, I was like, I want to go back to Sandy's, who was my foster mom. Mm-hmm. And the unique story for me is that I always went back to one foster home. And I know that's not always the case for many kids. It's usually they're bouncing around from home to home. I always went to the same one. And that for me was by the grace of God, that woman led me to Jesus. So I know God had his hand on me even from them. Okay, so your foster care situation was, it sounds like it was a little bit less chaotic than some. Yes, yes. Yep, she was definitely kind of like a a very stable presence Mm -hmm. amidst that chaos. Mm -hmm. And then there was a father in the home. Yeah, a single woman. (laughs) Okay, okay. So then how did you begin to process the absence of your biological father and then the absence? There was no father presence in in your foster home. So how did you begin to process that or did you? That started very late. That started very late in life. I remember when um, it was actually quite an interesting story that I, I go through in my book. But my biological mother, when I was 17, told me that she found my father and she asked me if I wanted to meet him because he lived in the area. I was like, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of threw me off a bit. And I was like, sure, I ended up meeting him the day before I graduated high school. It was kind of a really awkward interaction. He didn't seem like he wanted to be there. And, you know, I was really shy. So I was like, this is weird. And we never really spoke again after that. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to about, I want to say 2009. I think this is before I actually had my first child. And I was just going through something. I was like, I, I just want to know because he had asked for a DNA test. And I was like, I just have to know. And so I found him. He he asked you. You wanted a DNA test. He Yes. Wow. How did you feel about that? It made me feel kind of like unwanted. Like it, like I felt like, oh my goodness, like he, he doesn't want me. He wants proof that I belong to him. Yeah. And I mean, he had his reasons come to find out later, but I think in 2008, I was like, I have to know. So I found him <laughs> through Facebook and you know, I was able to track him down and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do the test. And this is like 10 years later or yeah, about 10 years later. And so I do the DNA test and it comes back that he's not my father. Wow. Yeah. Well, I I mean, that feels like double rejection. Yep. There was a lot of anger and resentment because there was a a lot of issues surrounding like like meeting my father before I graduated high school. That whole last semester, my grades kind of fell because I was kind of everywhere. I was supposed to be valedictorian. I wasn't. (laughs) And just going through just the process of, okay, this is somebody who doesn't want to be in my life. Like I finally meet him. He does want to be in my life and come to find out 10 years later, he's not even (laughs) for nothing. So that put added strain on the relationship that was already strained 
my biological mother. And for a while, I let it go. I was like, you know, maybe God doesn't want me to find out. Like, maybe there's a reason. And so I let it go for a few years. And you know what? I want to stop you right there because that would, for me, bring some emotions, strong emotions towards God. Did you have some frustration with God? I did. Like, I I mean, I went back and forth with God. I mean, it's been years of doing that. Sure. Because, again, I, I was very aware that I didn't have a father. I was very aware that I wish I had one. I would see, like, my friends and their interactions with, with their father. And I'd be like, I wonder what that's like. Yeah. I just have no idea. And so, yeah, I was frustrated for sure. I was absolutely frustrated. But I was like, you know what? Maybe I just need to let it go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of my default anyway. It's just, let's just move on. <laughs> and so I did, you know, for for a bit. And then I was watching a show, a talk, some type of talk show about a DNA test that could like tell your ethnicity or maybe help you find family members. And I was like, oh, maybe I can do that. Wow. And so I ordered the test. I took the test. And I'm like, this is not helpful at all because, A, I don't have a Y chromosome. So it's hard to, like, you know, figure out who might be from my father's side through these groups of people. And I'm the type of person who can get really super focused and try to dig in and do the research. And I just, again, became very frustrated. And I was like, you know what? Like, I, I was trying to do my master's degree. I just had another child. I was like, I got enough on my plate. Maybe I just need to let it go. Maybe God's just closing this door. And there's a reason that I'm not supposed to know this information. And so uh, fast forward to 2018, I actually bought a like an Ancestry DNA kit for my husband at the time. And they were having a sale on Ancestry DNA, which was a different company. And I was like, you know what? I want to figure out like at least what what I am, like what makes up my DNA as far as ethnicity. I was like, let me just do this fun DNA thing. Forgot about it. You know, sent my results, forgot about it for months. At this point, I actually started writing my book. And that's a whole story where God was telling me to share my story. And I thought, well, I'll share my story of my childhood of like growing up in foster care, of being fatherless. Like that was my whole thing. And I want to say April, the results came in. And so I'm like looking around and, you know, they give you your DNA relatives. And I recognize my mother's brother, my uncle, who's black, my mother's black. And then I saw these two white relatives who were like second cousins. I was like, well, they're clearly not from my mother's side. <laughs> and through, you know, digging and researching, they were, I realized that they weren't related to each other, but they were both related to my father. And through them, I was able to find my paternal grandparents. Like, wow. And like my mind was like blown because it had been years. I had been looking for years for any clues. And I found my grandparent and eventually I found out who my father was. Wow. And so was he alive? He was not. He had died a, a few years earlier. But I found my half sister and she was able to tell me a bit about what he was like. And I looked exactly like him. Like there was no doubt. <laughs> like we have the same eyes, like a lot of the same features. So I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And I just want to ask you, you know, were they receiving of you because they were white and you're biracial? Was there any? That was definitely a fear of mine. Yeah. Because my grandparents, my paternal grandparents were from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So they were from the South. And I was like, oh boy. And like talking, like I had reached out to the different cousins and there was like this kind of hint that like if he was like, no, my mother's black. He was like, oh, well, it must be this brother because he's the wild one. And I'm like, okay. Wild. <laughs> right. <laughs> and my, my half sister lived in Tennessee and Nashville. And I had, I had seen some of her posts. I was like, oh, she had some 
issues. She had some experiences with Black people that were not positive. Okay. And so it was like working through that whole thing, but they were receptive to me. That's they were what, open. What a blessing after having experienced so much rejection that, you know, mm-hmm. in experience acceptance through your, your biological, your pater- the paternal side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And the way the details, like it's, it's really a long story, but the details of the story, it's like only God could have done that. Mm-hmm. There were reasons why I, ha- I had to wait that long that weren't even just about me. They're about the other people involved. So it's, it was just really cool just to see God's hand. And yeah. I think, I hope that that is comforting for someone who might be listening and experiencing the same types of frustration that you went through in terms of just searching and searching and searching for your biological father and continuing to come up against a, a dead end and finally coming to a place of peace. Well, I, I'm assuming that you came to a place of peace as you sound peace, but was there any type of sadness that you had, you know, with the reality that he had passed prior to you being able to find him? Or was it just like, okay, I see God's sovereignty? Yeah, I don't know that there was sadness. I did have a breakthrough. And I remember it was like maybe a few days after I'd found out and put the pieces together. And I remember clearly like walking down the sidewalk and it, I just, like the images of like my life just like flashed before me of like mm-hmm. how God kind of was bringing it all. And then like this weight, I just felt like a weight lift of all the lies that I had believed because yeah. of my father wound just, just fall off. And I, I just felt, wow, like I hadn't realized how much it had affected me, mm-hmm. that that piece being missing. Yeah, I'm going to unpack that, Charlotte. So when you say lies that you believe and as a result of your father wounds, can you share with us what were some of those lies that you believe? That I was unwanted, that I was a mistake because I wasn't planned, that I was unworthy, all of those puns. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when God showed me that I had a plan for you, this was part of my plan. I had a plan for you. Your parents may not have planned you, but I planned for you. And I was like, it's like that weight. So, yeah, you know that that and that's a such a beautiful statement because the reality is for many of us, you know, we may not have been planned or at the time of our our arrival, our parents may not have had the the wherewithal, the emotional capacity, the maturity to really parent us well and be the parents that God intended for all children to have. But when you look at Psalms 139, it clearly says, I knew you in your mother's womb. All the days of your life were were planned out for you. I think I'm probably watching that scripture or I know how many hairs are on your head. This is a God that wanted us to be here, that he was really intentional with his decision to bring us here. Even if our circumstances, the circumstances surrounding our birth are less than ideal, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that God didn't want, want us. So I really love what you are saying there. Now, were there any other challenges that you experienced as a result of, I'm sure just, you know, growing up in foster care and sounds like you had a mother wound and a father wound, anything like with your confidence, relationship with the opposite sex, et cetera, et cetera. 
all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Me, um, all of the above. <laughs> yeah, I was a very shy kid growing up. I'm still very shy and I still deal with social anxiety. I still I still deal with like not feeling confident. Um, it took me so long to call myself a writer. Even now I'm like, am I though? Am I a writer? <laughs> um, I'm like, yes, you're a writer. And it, it's just you are on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and in my relationships, like just like I'm divorced now and it, I see how growing up in a situation where I didn't feel safe or secure or wanted. Uh, led me to make decisions in relationships or to accept less than what I deserve. Like I didn't feel worthy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it affected and I'm in therapy now just so I don't work all of that out, like trying to see all the blind spots and all the places that those wounds do affect me. Shout out to therapy. Mm-hmm. Shout out to therapy is so needed, you know, and I've unpacked just the very thing that you're saying so, so much. You know, our fathers are to be the first interaction with the male gender. And it's from our fathers that we learn how to engage with the opposite sex in a healthy way, or we should. And so for so many young girls and adolescents, young women who grow up without their father, we really are at a loss when it comes to engaging with the opposite sex. And so as a result, we make a lot of mistakes, kind of just fumbling around in the dark, trying to turn on the light, you know, so it's just kind of a byproduct, you know, the, the absence of our fathers. Have you been able to make peace with yourself and just, you know, forgive yourself because I know for me, there's a bit of guilt there or a bit of regret or disappointment. Have you been able to make peace? I think I'm in the process of making peace. Sure. That's honest. Yeah. I think that I'm on my way there, just beginning to understand, goodness, where I've come from. Sure. And of course, like the, what I've been through will impact my decisions. And and yeah, I think I look back, I'm like, man, if I hadn't been through that, what kind of person would I be? Like, who would I be today? Like, could I have done more? Could I have been more? But I do believe that, you know, God... God is a redeemer mm-hmm. and it, he doesn't, it's never too late for him to re, to redeem you and to restore you. Mm-hmm. And so I think like being in that process of being restored and making peace with that, I, I mean, I'm still on that journey, but I look forward to when I, when I get there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think something that a counselor said to me recently, an exercise that she gave me was to, if I had a friend that had gone through something difficult, write down what I would say to them to comfort them. And then on the flip side of that, what would I say to myself? And it was just kind of casting a, a nice sharp comparison, you know, that sometimes we really are not as gentle with ourselves as we are with others. But, you know, we should be. We should be. God gives us grace, you know, and God is the one who understands us completely. He understands our family makeup. He understands our trauma. He understands our weaknesses. He understands everything when he looks at us and the decisions that we make and I and have made. And I believe he responds to us with compassion. You see that with the woman at the well. You see that with the woman who was caught in adultery. You see that with the woman who poured oil on his feet and, and wiped his feet with her 
tears and all of that, you know, you see God's compassion for women and specifically women who are hurting or who find themselves in less than desirable circumstances. So I certainly hope that that's an encouragement to anyone who's listening that there is peace for you. There is hope for you. There is grace for you and that you don't have to immediately be at this place of, oh, I'm completely healed and I'm completely whole and I'm completely at peace. It can be a process and God still loves you and God is still with you and God still redeemed. He's still redeemed. So yes, such good information that you shared. In terms of your spiritual journey, how has knowing God been a comfort for you? And how have you known, come to know God as your heavenly father? Oh boy. Yeah. I don't think with, without my faith, and I often say this, like, I don't know how people get through without faith, without faith in Jesus. I don't know because he's held me. Like I literally, he has literally held me together at times. But yeah, coming to know God as father has been a journey as well. Like it was a concept that I wasn't really able to grasp for a very long time. When I had my first child, he was born very premature. He was in the hospital for six and a half months. It was a roller coaster ride. And that was my first, I think, instinct of knowing, okay, so God loves me like I love my son. So in that way, I could kind of put it together, even though like as a mom, it might be a bit different, but like I got the concept of like that that parent-child relationship. And I was like, okay, okay. And it it started to kind of sink in because I think for the longest time, I felt God was someone who was very distant, who I could maybe come to if I really needed him, but I didn't really want to bother him because again, like I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I was worthy. I didn't feel like my needs mattered. And so that definitely... Finding my father and kind of breaking down and processing that whole thing, I was able to start to acknowledge what it meant for God to be my father. And it it changed so much because when you when you view God as your father, you understand that he loves you. And for me, I think that was my biggest thing. It's like, I don't know what that means that God loves me. I know what it means for God to want me to be good. And so I'll, I'll obey the rules and I'll do what's right because I'm trying to constantly prove myself worthy. I think that's like part of the father when you're constantly trying to prove yourself worthy of love. And whereas God said, I love you before you were even worthy of my love. And so it's like, okay, I'm starting to understand what that means. And he's he's been teaching me. He's been showing me like, I love you. And like, that's it's been, especially these last few years, just him showing me, I love you. You're my daughter. Like that's my, that's the message that he keeps giving me. I think that's so beautiful, you know, and I think part of the struggle with accepting the love of God is just equating God's love with good things that are happening in your life. Like if God loves me, then everything's going to go great. And if he doesn't, then things are going to go south or, you know, and so when things go south or you have a less than ideal upbringing, it's, you know, kind of a natural assumption to say, oh, well, God must not love me like he loves, you know, this other person over here or God must be mad at me or Mm -hmm. something like that. Did you experience that? Yeah. Yes, I did. In fact, when my son was in the hospital, I remember very clearly I was home. It had been a long day. He was like, on and off oxygen. And I was just like, God, are you punishing me? 
what did I do? Are you punishing me? And I asked him that. And I heard his voice. This first time I heard his voice, he said, Charlotte, I'm going to show you through this how much I love you. I remember like just breaking down in tears. And he did. He, in in so many ways, through different people, through different circumstances, he was like, I have you. I have you. And I think getting to that intimate, like that personal relationship with God and, and knowing that he sees you is like, it just deepens that faith. It's like, okay, this is real. Not that I never did, never thought it was real. I just didn't have that intimate relationship or felt like he cared about me specifically, even though I knew it in my head, but to experience it is like a completely different thing. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think people would, I can remember people pointing to John three sixteen and saying, for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, but that whosoever believed in him should not perish for everlasting life. And, and they would say, well, change world and put your name in there. And I was like, well, still, if I put my name in there, it's not really for me. It's not really specifically for me. It's for the whole world, you know, and I could not make that delineation between the world and me and saying, no, he specifically loves me. But when you begin to have a, a, a specific point in your life where God becomes personal to you, that all changes. And I think that's what you're saying that happened with your son is that it all changed. And, and sometimes it takes a crisis. <laughs> sometimes it takes a crisis, you know, to enable us to see how personable God really is and how right there in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the trauma, when we feel like we're there all by ourselves, we see him. I love some of the examples that you gave and just saying that you saw him in people, you saw him in comfort, you saw him just in different ways in the circumstance that you were facing. And that's kind of an argument that I've heard some people say like, well, how? How is it possible for for God to bother me? And it's not going to be a one size fit, fits all you know, type of deal. But God is able to reveal himself as father in very meaningful and specific ways. Just as you mentioned with your son and some of the, the challenges that he had when he was first born. I know that was a scary time. I can only imagine, but I can see that God comforted you during that time. He did, yeah. So what is something that you wish you could have told your younger self? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I think maybe just, you know, it's going to be hard. Yeah. It's going to be hard for a long time, but there are good times too. And to look for the good. Because I think also, I think growing up in that chaotic situation is like I had a hard time finding joy because I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Sure. So I think and it's only in recent years where I'm like, I'm going to expect good things. I'm going to I'm going to watch for the good things. I'm not going to wait for something bad to happen. I'm going to have joy and be present in the joy and look for the good. And I think that's something else that I just had to learn and that God has had to teach me as as he's bothering me. It's just it's been an interesting journey, like just the things that he's he's just healing me from. Sure. Yeah, that is so good, Sharla. You know, and, and when you do this, talk about this subject, 
it real there's really a a large continuum. You know, some women may find themselves growing up in a two parent household with a physically present but emotionally absent father. Some women may have a two parent household and the dad's an alcoholic or he's addicted to substances. Some women may have a father that for the most part loving, but he has a bad temper. And so then there are those stories like yours that are so extreme where, you know, you didn't know your father and you grew up in foster care or your foster care father was abusive. And when you find yourselves in circumstances like that, it's so traumatic that you can begin to expect for life to always be like that. But I really appreciate the hope that you offer in in saying, look for the good, look for the good. You are loved. I'm in a, a season right now that's been quite interesting, even a little difficult and stumbled upon, I think it's Hebrews, might be Hebrews 12 and also in James chapter one as well. It talks about hardship and our response to hardship and just what God is doing in hardship and the the reality that he loves those he allowed to go through hardship, which is really difficult and challenging to wrap your mind around. But the reality is that if God is choosing us, to shoulder difficulties and pain, it does say something about what he thinks about us. He loves us. He has a purpose and a plan for the pain that he allows us to endure. He has a desired outcome for us that I believe he deems would be far greater if he allows us to go through the hardship and the pain than it would be if he didn't. I know for me personally, there's a level of compassion and empathy that I have for other women that I most certainly would not have if my upbringing had been the way that I envisioned it, you know, like the Cosby, <laughs> like the Cosby show, you know, it. I don't think I would, you know, be willing to stop and pray and, you know, at a moment's notice if I hear the ache in a woman's soul. And that comes from pain. That comes from hardship. That comes from difficulty. Would you say the same thing? What have you, what have you gained a, in terms of as a person, you know, just from walking through hard things? Yeah, I would definitely say like I have empathy. One of my life verses is, I believe it's Second Corinthians 1, I think it's 3 and 4, where it says, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us so that we can comfort others. And so I kind of grasped onto that from a young age. And like, this isn't just about me. Like what I'm going through, like, isn't just about me. And he, God has used a, a lot of the different things that I've experienced to help other people. And I am more able to recognize pain in people. And I'm also willing to listen to other people's pain and kind of be that safe place for them. And I really do believe like that, you know, uh, a blessing and a ministry that God gave me through what I've been through, because he uses everything for good. All things work, he works together for good and it's for his purpose. And I think that like coming from that perspective, it does give hope. And, you know, even Jesus suffered for us, not only just to save us, but to say, I have grace for you because I've walked in your skin. I know what you face every day. I understand. And I think that's that's important to to understand too, is that even like our savior suffered so that he could understand our suffering. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I definitely learned that early on that my pain has a purpose. And I, I think I've always kind of had that perspective from very young. 
that my pain has a purpose. God's going to use this. God's going to use this. And so, and that's still like what I kind of go to is that somehow God's going to use this. And I even like in recently, like been through some really painful circumstances where again, God held on to me when I couldn't, when I felt like I couldn't hold on to him, he grasped onto me and got me through it and has again, grown my faith because of it, show me another part of who he is because of it. And I think often that's what God does is that he, he doesn't cause the pain. But sometimes he'll allow it so that he can use it to shape us to become more like him and uh, useful for his kingdom. So, yeah. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I'm kind of thinking of that whole analogy of the child that you allow to touch the hot stove so that they learn that it's hot. If the mother never let the child go ahead and touch the hot stove, then you're setting the child up a bit for failure, a little bit. If you never just step back and say, I have to allow you to experience this unpleasant uh, reality of life so that you'll be prepared and you'll be equipped. And even I'm studying that now in the book of Matthew, just watching Jesus as he walked with the disciples. Initially, he didn't reveal to them his primary purpose was to come to earth to die. But as his time drew near, he let them experience, he, he shared with them the reality that he, he did come to die and that the son of man was, was going to suffer, you know? And I think that's just a revelation of who God is, that he is a master teacher and he's teaching us through our pain, through our suffering, while he's also comforting us and loving us and being tender with us and gracious with us. And I hope that if you are listening to this and saying, well, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care what he's doing, or I don't care how he's going to use it. And I don't even care about the people that might be on the other side of my pain. All I can care about right now is my pain. I hope that you would be encouraged by by Shala's story because she's such a testimony and a testament of the goodness of God. She's walked through tremendous pain and has come through it. And is able to offer hope and encouragement and to you as you as you listen. And I know that God will do the same thing for you if you are listening and you're frustrated with how God has allowed the circumstances of your life to pan out. And I think I would also say that there is good on the horizon. You know, if I had given up and thrown in the towel and said, I'm through with God, I'm through with this. I would have missed out on so much. I would have missed out on this podcast. I would have missed out on connecting with Charlotte. I would have missed out on so many other women that I've encountered that have experienced father wounds on on some end of that continuum that I've talked about. And yet they've come through with hope. They've come through with encouragement for others. So I just want to tell you, if you're listening and you're frustrated and angry, cling to God, cling to God. If all you can do is say a prayer or a scripture or listen to this podcast, cling to God because he is there right there with you in your pain. Uh, as we are winding down, Charlotte, if is there anything that you might want to offer a woman might be in a frustrated, discouraged, despondent place? Is there any encouragement that you would offer her? Yeah, it's it may seem 
like always lost. It may seem like you are in the darkest hole and that you, there's just no way out and you feel like God has abandoned you. And I assure you, he has not. You are not alone. You are not alone. And I think, I think that is a lie that the devil has used, that uses, that he uses with women a lot, that you are alone. You are not alone. God is with you. He is with you and you will get through it. He will get you through it. There is light at the end of the tunnel and you will be stronger for it. I promise. So good. So good. Well, ladies, be encouraged. This has been such an amazing, tender interview with Charlotte. Charlotte, if ladies want to connect with you and check out your memoir, Where I Belong, or your book of poetry, Unbroken Pieces, how can they access that or connect with you on social media? I'm sure. So you can go to my website. It's charlottefanews.com and you can purchase my books there. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's charla underscore Fenews. And yeah, I look forward to connecting with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I highly encourage you to do that. I know you will be blessed by the resources that Charlotte has to offer. And this concludes our podcast. Stay tuned for another episode. Take care and be blessed. You've been listening to the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, episode 49, Exchanging Father Wounds for the Love of God the Father with Charlotte Thanos. I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you, and I want you to know whether your dad is deceased, absent, divorced, unavailable, incarcerated, or you don't know who he is, sis, there is hope for you. Hope to be healed. Hope to be secure. Hope to be free. Completely free. Hope to be satisfied with the love of God. Yes, there is hope for women with father wounds. This was episode 49 of Hope for Women with Father Wounds. I am your host, Kia Steven. If you're benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend, rate and comment and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Be sure and check out the links associated with this podcast so you can access several free resources for you. Also, for even more support, I encourage you to purchase my newly published book, Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love, wherever books are sold. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you will join me for episode 50, Daily Affirmations on Who God Is to You. Hope for Women with Father Wounds is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.